and welcome to another week's episode of Not d and I'm your host Jessica and this week with me I have Andrew that's here to talk about Guild Chronicles. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. Um, so Guild Chronicles is a game that is on Kickstarter live at the moment. We'll put the link in the chat and in the show notes if you want to check it out whilst we're talking here. We're not currently live, uh, so if you have any burning questions, you can always head over to the project to ask them there or on uh, social media with Guild Chronicles. Um, so if you're, if I'm not asking the right questions and you're screaming at the, the screen or the podcast, you can go, you can go uh, ask Andrew there in those places. Um, but yeah, but first of all, Andrew, uh, thanks so much for coming on to chat to us. I um, The first question I'm going to ask you is not about Girl Chronicles, so I'll just remove that from the screen because I want to talk about you. Uh, so tell me, what was your first experience with role-playing games? Oh, man. So I, I recall I was probably about 10 years old. Um, and in, in the States, we had the satanic panic around D&D at the sure. exact same time that I saw a D&D book in a bookstore. So it was about okay. uh, six months of me trying to convince my mother that it was safe, it was okay, uh, that I could play it with my friends. So I started mm-hmm. playing AD&D uh, probably when I was about 10 or 11 um, with just a couple of friends in my basement, had a had a really cool introduction to it. Um, and yeah, it just kind of took off from there. Amazing. So what what sort of games uh, after D&D did you try out? Because this is not D&D, so yes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think my favorite my favorite game of my youth, I played a lot of World of Darkness um, and Changeling the Dreaming really just resonated with me and all of my friends. I think we're all kind of mm-hmm. weirdos and, and feel a little out of place in the world. And, and sure. we found such a wonderful resonant message there um, that it really became a huge part of our friendship culture. Um, so I, I had a campaign of Changeling the Dreaming that lasted probably seven years. Um, that was probably the most the most sort of in-depth thing that I did. Um, but I've been into other games like Pathfinder. I really like picking up an indie game. Um, mm-hmm. As a game designer, I just really like seeing how things are made and work. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I have many games that I've never played, but I've read the book, I've digested it, and I've, I've internalized all the rules because I just find it so fascinating. Fantastic. And you mentioned being a game designer there. So obviously 10 years old, playing D&D, the classic starting option. How did um, how did you get there from being a games designer and being somebody who's launched their first successful Kickstarter? Congratulations for it fully Thank funding. You. Thank um, you. And it's, so it's, it's still live now. It's live till the 22nd of April if you're listening to this. But how did you how did you get there to be somebody that's a game designer and that, that makes games? Yeah, I, I think um, when when I first started playing games, I always had new ideas, and and there mm-hmm. was always a part of the system that I wanted to do something, but there weren't rules for it. So I just started mm-hmm. homebrewing before I knew it was a word, um, sure. and and from there I, I started building just more and more complex little systems for little niche areas that I really wanted to to try to bring to life in a game. Uh-huh. Um, when I was so yeah, in my youth when I was playing Changing the Dreaming, uh, my friends and I also really enjoyed LARPing. Um, yeah. and we, mm-hmm. we, I, I decided to adapt that game to port it into like a live action role-playing game. So a couple of my friends and I, uh, when I was about 17, uh, converted mm-hmm. that whole system into a live action role-playing, uh, oh, system. Amazing. That was the first game I ever made with my friends. Cool. Um, and it, it really got me hooked on it. I, um, mm-hmm. in my, in my professional life, I, I was teaching, uh, right after my undergrad. And, um, I spent a lot of time making little games to play with kids or working mm-hmm. in summer camps. I would make up games that kind of fit the the level where the kids were at. If I was working with a bunch of eight-year-olds, we played a really light game. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're playing with a bunch of teenagers, I'd make something a lot crunchier. Uh, but yeah, I just always, I love making games. I, it's, it's such a fun way to be. I get to use my creativity. Um, and yeah, it's just a slow slog, a lot of practice and, and having really good collaborators around me. 
Fantastic. I I think it's so interesting you mentioned that like designing a lot, but I love live action role play as well. I'm actually going to a lot this Saturday, which I'm very yes, excited oh, about. Good for you. <laughs> uh, it will be great. Um, but from what I understand, designing a lot and designing role playing games, they have some kind of overlaps and some sort of differences. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and I noticed on on Twitter this week, I saw Jay Dragon from Possum Creek Games, who's coming on the show uh, next month. Um, Jay mentioned that. LARP can be more inclusive generally with its design and things like that, the role-playing games, and yeah. exploring that. What do you think about that? Just in Because we're going to talk about uh, Guild Chronicles and the inclusivity of there, but yeah, I wonder what your no, take I, on that is. I like that a lot. So I think it's a different kind of accessibility. So mm-hmm. if, if I think of someone with like different mobility needs, sure. um, LARPs will often have to be adapted to, to kind of fit that. And often, mm-hmm. I, I think... Most LARPs don't have that considered when they sort of start off, um, but they sure. might eventually kind of encounter someone that does have different mobility needs that yeah, yeah. Um, you'll have to kind of adapt to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that idea that it's it's more accessible, you don't need to memorize much, you're not referencing much, you don't need to be mm-hmm. as organized to kind of play it. Um, I think a well-made LARP has like a really simple core set of rules that you can kind of build out from. So yeah. early in the game, you've got a pretty simple character, you kind of master that. Um, and you might get introduced to a couple new abilities or a couple new things as you kind of go through the weekend or, or an event. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it kind of builds slowly. Whereas yeah. I feel like with a with a tabletop game, yeah, it's it's can be crunchy right from the onset. It can be really hard to kind of hit the ground running mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, it's, that's a cool, I, I like that a lot. That's a fun thing I, to think about. Yeah, I don't have a lot of conclusions on it yet, but I just like, again, saw Jay say it on Twitter and I was like, that's very interesting. So I thought I'd throw it in there. That's as it was in the flow of conversation. Um, but anyway, that does lead me on um, to kind of let's talk a bit about kind of a Guild Chronicles here. Um, and I don't like this layout, but I've lost the one I wanted. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So talking about Guild Chronicles, um, the reason I talked about kind of, you know, accessibility and games being kind of for everyone is um, this game has been uh, used, you know, in schools and hospitals and educational settings, like kind of as a therapeutic tool kind of for different people and autistic youth. Um, so I really wanted to talk about that. So could you explain kind of the company and the ethos and yeah. the idea behind this? Yeah, so I, I started this project when I was um, when I was working in public schools. Um, I was working with a with a young man about fourth grade um, who really was interested in D and D, but not much about anything else in school. Um, so okay. he really, really, really wanted to play. Didn't have anyone to play with. Um, found out that I shared that interest, um, and I managed to convince the school psychologist that this was something that could be used for learning. This could be used to connect with peers. This yeah. could be like a really powerful tool. Um, but none of his peers were up to the complex task of playing D&D. Sure. Um, so I was like, you know what, why don't I just make a game? Like, that's that's mm-hmm. what I do. Um, so I started designing this game that was really meant to be flexible and really meant to have like a low entry point. Um, and then from there, kind of building complexity because people are going to get bored. If it doesn't if it doesn't get complex, crunchy gamers like myself are going to get bored by it and, and leave mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, we tried to make it kind of have this low entry point so these guys could play it. Um, sure. From there, um, I kind of kept pitching this to other places. So I worked um, at Mass General Hospital's Aspire program for a long time. Um, There's sort of this world-renowned autism program that I pitched it to them. I was like, I think this is a cool tool. I think folks that are kind of like already in your programs have this interest. And I think we could mm-hmm. tap into that. It would be really motivating. Um, so for seven years, I was running um, groups with them. And during that time, uh, the game kept getting more and more complex. I play tested it with like a hundred, a hundred mm-hmm. teens and young adults. Um, kind of kept iterating over and over again through it. 
Um, and for a long time, I was like, eventually, this is going to be a book that I publish. But, you know, full-time job and life and family, sure, uh, yeah. I never really got there. Uh, until this last year, I decided I was going to I was gonna quit my job and kind of make this the thing that I do. Amazing. Um, yeah, so the game, I really, really think that games like this are a fantastic way to, like, develop skills. So mm-hmm. I, a lot of my leadership, a lot of my confidence came playing D&D, going to LARPs on weekends. Sure. All of that had this kind of transformational effect on me. The stories that I explored through through games like this kind of made big impacts on me. And the friendships that I built through it were fantastic. So mm-hmm it kind of seemed like a no brainer to me that you could kind of bring this into a learning space. Um, but not a lot of people were doing it when I started doing this. So mm-hmm. I think um, the, the mission always from the beginning has been to kind of create a tool that's really good for learning. Um, yeah. But this year, the focus has really turned, I want to make a great game. I, 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 mm-hmm. I don't want to be like one of those educational games that are like, I don't know, you, you know, the type like where you're just saying like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like I see what you're trying to do, but you're not good at making games. Um, so this is meant to be a great sure. game. Uh, it's meant to be for anybody. Um, and then on top of that, um, I think that I've worked some stuff into the rules that make it more accessible uh, to neurodivergent folks, uh, easier mm-hmm. to get into if you're young and 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 kind of new to this game or this this kind of uh, genre. And then it really it's built to reward collaboration, um, okay. which kind of then is going to be motivating. So we want these we want folks in the program to be working together and solving problems and communicating and compromising. And the more you do that with the system, the more bang for your buck you're going to get. So you're going you're gonna to get more impact from that because the system's designed to reward collaboration. Fantastic. Um, so talking a little bit kind of about the game um, and, and, you know, talking about kind of the setting, I guess would be a good place to start. Uh, yeah. So it's set in uh, Verdun. Is that pronounced yep, that right? It. Yeah, great. Yep, you got it. Because uh, fantasy, fantasy spelling and how it's pronounced can be can be anything because it's fantasy world. But yeah, so in Verdon, tell us about Verdon and the world in which Guild Chronicles is set. Yeah, so I wanted to create a world that was that was really dynamic and really felt like it was kind of in the middle of change. I'm really drawn to stories that are kind of at these junctures where kind of there's like a, a big change happening in the world and and people are kind of either clinging to something that came before it or or kind of excited mm-hmm. about the future. Um, one of the one of the things that I think is unique to Verdon is there's this um, it's so it's sort of like a prime material plane. It's got like its own world, uh, but there's the other planes of existence that intersect with it. Um, okay. So unlike many games or many settings where the planes are sort of like distant and you might have to use magic to kind of get them open some kind of portal, uh, go through some naturally occurring hole between realities. In Verdon, they just bleed into one another. So you might be able to walk straight from Verdon into one of these other planes. Um, mm-hmm. and traverse them. So this then has big impacts on all of the world around it. So uh, the three other planes, I'll, I'll just describe them really quickly. So you've got sure. one place called the wild. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is sort of like primal energy, um, the elements, uh, really, really powerful growth magic, giant plants, giant animals, um, kind of just like a supercharged nature realm. Okay. Um, yeah. So there might be like an area of that that's kind of like elemental fire. Um, and if that intersected with Veridin, you might find like uh, giant pools of lava. You might find active volcanoes. Um, you might find really, really hot climates um, up in the north of the world. Um, it's less that there's sort of like normal, like it, it's not that it's just cold up there because it gets less sunlight. There's actually intersections with like ice plains and stuff up there. Okay, cool. Um, so that's the wild. The next mm-hmm. plane is the dream. Um, so the dream is this world where like anything is possible. Anything you can imagine is mm-hmm. true. Um, the stories that you hear, um, they exist out in dreams somewhere and you can travel to those places. So this was very much drawn from my love of changing the dreaming. I think this this okay, sort of yeah. magical world ties very tightly into like the way that I kind of envision 
uh, how magic works. Sure. Um, so the dream is is very similar to that. If you, if you've played the game or you know the game, um, it's a place where people can kind of accidentally travel while they're asleep. Uh, so mm -hmm. the dreams of people sort of become little worlds that kind of begin and then end out there in the dream. Uh -huh. um, and then finally, we've got the Umbra. So this this I think is the most unique of the planes, and I think it's really special, especially when I'm trying to like delve into some themes and kind of work on growth and set some goals with with people that are participating in the program. Mm -hmm. um, the Umbra has um, all the sort of emotions of the world manifest as spirits. Oh, so you wow, might have okay. a spirit of uh, sadness. Um, so mm -hmm. a spirit of sadness would be drawn to someone that was sad. So if you had like a really mm -hmm. depressed teenager, um, a sadness spirit might kind of come and kind of be around that, that person. Um, they would, the spirit would get fed from that sadness and it might also put some more sadness back into the person. So it might kind of uh, okay. spread this sadness out into the world. Um, being sad also has its benefits, right? If the people mm -hmm. around you, if your community notices that you're sad, they'll come and comfort you. Um, mm -hmm. So these spirits aren't good or bad. They sort of, you know, they have their own motivations based on their emotion, but mm -hmm. they kind of can have good things that happen because of them as well as things that might be seen as more negative. Mm -hmm. um, but this sort of spirit world provides lots of really cool opportunities to tell stories where yeah. um, a really angry person might attract a spirit and you have to, maybe you battle that spirit, you try to try to defeat that spirit. But if you don't address the anger that's underneath it, it's just going to keep coming back. There's just going to be more, this spirit is going to be attracted again or a different spirit will be attracted again. Uh, so there's there's yeah. as much sort of narrative problem solving as combat, sure. mm -hmm. um, but that's the kind of stuff again I'm really drawn to. I, I enjoy mm -hmm. nuance. I enjoy gritty combat. Like I love a really tactical combat, but I also like stories that are kind of telling, sure. you know, something more 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 involved. That sounds really cool. I really like that as well. And I I also see from like an education standpoint that coming in that being able to identify and name your emotions. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's actually quite a complex skill that I know a lot of people don't have. Uh, yeah. So actually, that's really interesting. It kind of reminds me of like a more a darker version of the film Inside Out, maybe or something. It's yeah, got yeah. that sort of vibe to me. Okay, amazing. But sorry, I interrupted you. So please carry on. Oh no, no, that's good. Now, I please interrupt me as much as you want. I think it's much more interesting <laughs> if we both talk. I, I'll, okay. I'll get boring. Mm -hmm. um, so the the world. So the the planes are kind of the most influential part that kind of make the world mm -hmm. different. Um, one, one place that I, I, I enjoyed setting a lot of my own stories in this place called Lindhurst Academy, um, okay. magic schools. It's just like a fun thing to imagine. A lot of people mm -hmm. my age kind of grew up with stories like that. Sure. Um, young folks really enjoy it. I, I mm. like to tell stories using this school because I think, um, if I'm working with young folks, college age, high school age, they can be sort of imagining their own lives in the game. I think if sure. there's a parallel that can be drawn, mm -hmm. you can kind of make more meaning out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll often set um, set stories at the beginning of a story they might be at Lindhurst Academy. Um, and it's just this magical school for heroes. The, the most famous people in the world have, have kind of come out of this school. Mm -hmm. um, it's an institution. It's been there for hundreds of years, um, which means it's also got some kind of mixed, its past can be a little bit checkered. Um, the people there might be not as progressive as other parts of the world. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting sort of like possible interactions there. Um, and then, I mean, the world is is meant to be diverse and interesting. Um, the different planes kind of give it a lot of that feel. Um, there's very different regions. Um, this over on the side, you can see this side. You can see mm -hmm. that uh, this is Tetheris. This is one of the regions that we set the demo of the game in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of, it feels a little bit like uh, horror, kind of like a scary place to be, um, kind of constant sense of danger. You kind of have to really be on the guard and not be out at night. Okay. Um, and then we've also got much happier places. So really. I think the depending on the kind of story you want to tell, there's parts of the world that you could tell it in. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're the kind of group that likes to explore worlds, there's a lot of different places to explore. Amazing. And you mentioned a demo there. So that is available for free at the moment. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's up on itch. Um, It's um, so it's got it's got four parts. It's got the storyteller's guide, which is like a 30, 30 ish page book that kind of walks you through the entire story. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got a player's guide, which kind of gives the players all the background information they need to, to play the story. So a little bit about the world. That's what's featured over here. Mm -hmm. Um, and as well as like different pre-made characters and how you would use them. And then it's got the quick start rules for the game. So I think it's only about 10 pages long. Um, it's a, it's just meant to kind of give you capture the general essence of the game. Um, there's a lot more detail in, in once you get into the whole thing, but it's enough to kind of understand it and get a good feeling for it. Perfect. Um, we oh. also put it on, um, it's on roll 20 too. Um, okay. So it's kind of just like a, it's like a supplement on roll 20. Um, so if someone did want that, um, you can definitely reach out to me. Um, I've got codes to kind of give it away for free. I can't do it. I, I can't list it for $0, but I can <laughs> give it away for free. You can find me on guildchronicles.com. That's perfect. Okay, great. Yeah. And the links uh, for the free demo and for the website and everything is in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast and in the chat if you're listening to the sc- uh, watching uh, watching the show or on the screen if you're watching as well right now. Uh, but great. Yes, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that demo. Um, so that's really awesome about the world, everything you're mentioning. But I want to dig into kind of the characters and the people uh, that you'll be playing in this world. So so who, yeah, who, who are the characters? Who are going to be playing? Yeah, so the system is designed to be super flexible. So mm-hmm. we've, we've got classes listed over here, um, but those are sort of, um, I'll explain it a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, the same, so when you get experience points, you can choose to spend that on archetypes. So that's mm-hmm. warrior, mage, channeler that are over there. Okay, sure. Or you can choose to spend those on classes. So once you unlock warrior, you can unlock any of those classes that are underneath it. Or you can spend your experience points to buy new powers. So some people, when they play the game, are going to go really broad. They might imagine like a defender mixed with like a seer, someone that they just Mm -hmm. sort of get this picture of a a character. They want to make it that way. The game is flexible enough to let you make that as you begin the game. Um, Someone else might go really deep. They want to play the roguiest rogue. And they've just got this this vision (laughs) of the the kind of sneaky backstabber that they want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe one of these classes fits the bill really well, and they just decide to invest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really meant to be, it's designed to, to multi-class. So I think um, these are sort of like groups of powers. So like Arms okay. Masters, for example, um, unlocks 12 different powers when you buy it um, that are really good at sort of like hand-to-hand fighting. Um, they're sort of semi-defense, like they've got enough defenses that they can stand toe-to-toe with someone, but it's mostly like an aggressive play style, um, lots of critical hits. Um, defenders are, uh, so one thing I really enjoy about tactical games is, and, and that I don't see in D and D and lots of other kind of big name games is mm-hmm. the ability to like step into like a tanking role. So I, I played a lot of MMORPGs. I played world of Warcraft sure. when it first came out and Same. just like that idea of being a tank, right? Like that yeah. idea of like, I'm going to protect the people behind me. Mm-hmm. When I tried to do that in D and D, like the monster would just ignore me and not care. And there weren't enough mechanisms to kind of let me do that. So I, sure. I wanted to make a game where you can do this and you can do it well. And you can really, as a group, plan, like when you're running a dungeon in WoW, you know, Mm -hmm. the tank is going to be leading the charge. You've got people filling their roles really effectively. It's that level of strategy that you can employ. So yeah, kind of like what you were saying, you can have that tactical combat then because you can can do all these different things here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so all of these classes, um, they will sort of resemble different things that you might find in other games. Um, some stuff like Oniromancer is like a little unique to guild. Um, mm-hmm. They're drawing their magic from the dream. 
Um, so they're kind of like dream mages. Um, we've got Umbermancers. They're drawing their magic from the Umbra. They're taking kind of emotion energy uh, okay. and kind of manifesting it into different spells. So often mm -hmm. that might be like hopeful and helping their team, but there's also some kind of darker emotions and some sort of uh, stuff to kind of harass and, and, and annoy your enemies. Okay. Um, so yeah, lots lots of different tropes. I think the the system really does a good job of, of creating diverse play. You're not going to see the same builds twice. You're really going to see a lot of people uh, mm -hmm. branching out, finding really unique creative combinations of these classes to build through. Amazing. So we've I've got a little character on screen for those watching. Um, so you have your character class that we kind of talked about as well, but then we have like attributes and skills I can see on the uh, on the sheet here. Could you talk us through um, how attributes and skills uh, play into the system? Yeah, so this is the um, this is the pre-made ranger from the demo. Mm -hmm. um, so for this, um, yeah, focusing just on attributes and skills. Um, so in Guild Chronicles, they're represented by dice. Um, mm -hmm. So if you are really good at a skill at character creation, uh, it would be represented by an eight-sided die, a D8. Mm -hmm. um, anytime you want to use that skill, you're going to roll the die. And if you've got a bigger die, you're going to have a higher average. You're going to have a higher maximum. Mm -hmm. um, so at the beginning of the game, you're going to have two skills that you're good at that are a D8 three mm -hmm. skills that you're okay at, which are going to be a D6, uh, mm -hmm. and one attribute, sorry, I should have said attribute that whole time, and one attribute yeah, okay. that's a D4. Okay. Uh, and that's an area that you you struggle. It's not a strength of yours. Okay. Um, and then skills are also represented by dice. When you start the game, you've got about seven skills that are trained that you have some, some die mm -hmm. in. You might have no die in some skills. It just means you haven't practiced yet. You're not, sure. uh, you're not able to, to roll a die when you use that. Mm -hmm. But anytime you're making a skill check, you're combining one of these attributes with one of these skills. Okay. Um, so you're usually going to be rolling two dice for areas that you're pretty good at. Um, and then I think a cool thing about Guild Chronicles is you can combine them really flexibly. So if I think about like the skill of athletics, like you might first think of this as like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to climb something. So I'll use my strength because you have to have upper body strength to do that. Or sure. I'm going to balance across this balance beam and use my agility. I'm going to run a mile and use my vitality. Um, but also you can combine it with other stuff. So you might use your intelligence if you're coaching a game. Uh, mm -hmm. So you might combine your intelligence with your athletics to coach, okay, or you yeah. might try to lead people on the field using your charisma uh, and sort of be like the leader of a team mm -hmm. um, and combine it with your charisma. So I, I, I really like flexibility. I, I didn't feel like D&D &D captured that very well. Sure. Um, skills are kind of often tied to a specific uh, stat, um, but here it's really meant to be flexible. And I think it also gives more opportunities to kind of interact and, and collaborate with your with your storyteller and come up with, like, I feel like this is how I might represent this check. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a really fun way to kind of like work together to tell stories. For sure, definitely. And, uh, you know, looking at different, like you say, we've got different types of characters and different combinations. Um, I noticed that you kind of wanted to have badass adventures with disabilities and include things yeah. like mobility aids and rules. Could, yeah, could you talk through that a little bit? Because that was really cool to see. Yeah, I, I in, representation is so important to me. Um, I, I I get really excited when I when I see like a product like I I got uh, I think it's called Dungeons and Disabilities. They make mm -hmm. these amazing little um, little characters that are in wheelchairs and mm -hmm. they're just complete badasses. Like they mm -hmm. they're just so cool. Um, so when I see stuff like that, I get really excited and mm -hmm. I I want to be able to show that in my game. I, I I play and I have a lot of friends that are disabled and and really really enjoy seeing that and and when you see yourself in a game you really can feel like oh you you get me mm -hmm. i'm here like that's really important to folks so yeah so this uh the ranger that you guys see over here um she's got a prosthetic mm -hmm. um we're, we're actually working on a set of rules for uh for wheelchairs we, we this is like the mm -hmm. first mobility aid we wanted to include 
Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm working with a couple of people trying to come up with like, what what would the rules be if wheelchairs were like a magic item or a piece of gear? How would mm-hmm. it work? So we're going to make like a, yeah. little, a little module that people can download for free. And if you want your character to have a wheelchair in the game, we're going to have good rules for that too. So yeah, I don't know. We just we just really want to represent people um, and, mm-hmm. and all of their diversity as much as we can. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's a big, big part of who we are. Definitely, that's really cool. I think it's great to see it in fantasy as well because I think we're used to seeing mobility aids in like sci-fi and futuristic settings. Yeah. Like if you look at Star Trek, people with disabilities are there, but they just have you know technology that helps them out, and we're all like, that's cool. Right. But I don't think we see that as much in fantasy. Uh, and I, but I think when, if you live in a fantasy world where there's magic, of course right. there must be like cool stuff people have done, uh, you know, um, to make their lives easier with magic. So that's that's really cool to see as well. Um, yeah, I, I we, really like imagining just mm-hmm. like technology and and how it combines with the world full of magic. And like to me, like of course there would be amazing like magic wheelchairs, magic mobility aids, like. I don't know, it seems like a no-brainer, but most people don't stop and think about it. So yeah, we mm-hmm. want to bring that to life. We want to kind of make that something that you can see and and kind of jump into. Fantastic. Um, I'm gonna start going through the rest of the character sheet here because we've yeah. got you know got the attributes, we've got the skills, um, we've got um a section on combat and heroic bonuses there. Um so how do yeah, how does combat work in this game actually? So we've talked about how you wanted it to include kind of strategic collaborative um combats. Uh, how does that how does that work mechanically? Yeah, so mechanically, I, I think the the most important first change is there's no attack roll. So you're not you're never gonna have a turn okay. where you're like rolling to hit and missing. That was the thing that drove me nuts playing D and D. I'd have whole nights where I missed my three turns. I just missed every time. I was like, well, I didn't do anything this whole night. Okay. Um, so instead, in in Guild Chronicles, you basically make a damage roll. You're basically making your attack by rolling the damage of your weapon. Okay. Um, the target's defense is going to get subtracted from this. So this ranger over here on the side has a defense of two. So they're going to reduce a little bit of damage from every hit that they take. Mm -hmm. Um, An optimized character that's like focused on increasing their defense at the starting character might have like a five or six defense. So still kind of low, but, but pretty substantial. Sure. Um, So that's, so attack rolls are made um, just by rolling a handful of dice. It's also, we're always rolling two or more dice for attacks. Um, so there's always going to be this nice like curve of of probability. I really don't like the D20 where you can get a one or a 20 and it's the same odds of both. I like my okay. probability to be kind of well distributed. Okay. Um, so I think it's consistent opposed to being really exactly. swingy then. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I think it lets you plan more. So I'm, I'm a tactical player and you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm crunching numbers in oh. my head. I'm, I'm calculating odds when I play games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I know that there's sort of like this 75% range where I kind of know what's going to happen, I feel a lot more confident. I can, I can play the game better. Um, so I really like, yeah, that kind of predictability. Um, sure. You'll still get some mistakes. You'll still get some exciting successes, mm-hmm. but uh, you'll have a more average kind of feeling to it, which I think is, I don't know, it's the kind of combat I enjoy. Sure. So it means you're not having a turn where, uh, like a frustrating turn where nothing really happens because you rolled yep. and you're like, oh, I miss, and I'm exactly. I guess exactly. I'm done. So there's always, yeah. So, well, sometimes that happens when you're playing like you know a D and D or a D twenty game. You're like, oh, and and I I miss. It's terrible. Yep, um, that, that's yeah. all I do today. See you later. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. What else about combat? So uh, yeah. Yeah. I think. Do you have on the next page? Is that the the backside of this? Do I, I absolutely right? can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Cool. Um, so I, I think another unique thing to Guild Chronicles is your weapon has a really, really, really big impact on your play. Um, so, um, and I'll explain kind of how that works. So this character is kind of a quintessential ranger. They're using a short bow. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's going to really change how this character plays. So 
the short bow, whenever they make an attack, they're gonna get to choose either that long shot that you see on the mm -hmm. left. So this is an attack that has long range. Um, it does pretty average damage, rolls two eight-sided dice and adds a bonus to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it gives them a bonus to their speed. Um, or whenever it makes an attack, it can instead choose to use quick shot. So quick shot okay. has a much shorter range. Um, it does a lot less damage. It's only gonna roll one eight-sided die, but you're gonna get to repeat it on a second target. Mm -hmm. um so that's sorry i'm just saying everything out loud if you're watching you don't need me to do this but i just want people that are listening to be able to yeah hear it yeah because well. it is a podcast <laughs> yeah yeah um so you've got these two options um and then you're going to combine those with your class abilities so these are things that mm -hmm. you've unlocked with the experience points so this is the character you built mm -hmm. um is going to decide what you combine these with so this ranger um has mobile assault so if they combine one of these moves with that they're gonna get to move a little bit extra before or afterwards. So okay. combining mobile shot, assault and long shot is gonna let them move a lot. They're gonna have, mm -hmm. I think by the end of it, they'll have a speed of like 11 that turn. Um, they also have different powers. So like piercing strike lets them combine to make it uh, ignore armor, just kind of goes right through armor and defenses. Mm -hmm. um, or rapid strikes would let them repeat the attack again. So um, there's the, the idea is you're gonna find all of these interesting interactions between the weapon that you have and the powers that you chose. If this character, instead of using a short bow, wanted to use a magic wand or okay. a magical tome, um, there's infinite possibilities that they could come up with for these. So um, there's no weapon proficiency in the game. You can freely choose any weapon. You can learn to use it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, they use different attributes to your character. You might wanna play like a really charming ranger you mm -hmm. could do that. You could choose a wand that uses your charisma, um, okay. and you wouldn't have to be the kind of the fast, agile trope that that you might expect from other games. Um, so these weapons being this flexible and, and combining with your powers, um, I think really makes it fun because then this ranger could also switch weapons in the middle of the fight. So maybe at okay. the beginning of the fight, they need to be dealing a lot of damage, so they're using quick shot. They're attacking lots of different characters, lots of different enemies. Um, at the end of the fight, they might really need to change what they're doing. Maybe their team is really running low on health. They might have a backup weapon that lets them do a little bit of healing with each attack that they do. Excellent. So they might switch into that role. So again, I'm I'm trying to find more ways that you can kind of collaborate and work together. So mm -hmm. having a team, you could have a team without a healer if mm -hmm. everybody also had a backup weapon or everyone sure. strategized together to have a way that they could, if, if they were getting low on health, they'd have their way to like help out a friend in need. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's really meant to be flexible. Um, attacks are made by combining your attack action uh, powers from your classes with your weapon, uh, different different strikes that your weapon has. Amazing. And I can see with the different actions we have here, some are like at will, limited, and, yeah. and have things like that on. What, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so at will, you can use them every turn um, if you mm -hmm. want to. So, um, you know, so we have, we have three different action types. So attack actions, okay. movement actions, and minor actions. Okay. Um, you can use the same at-will attack action on your turn every turn if you want to. Okay. Um, limited, though, means you can only use it once per battle, um, mm -hmm. and then it's kind of exhausted. Um, mm -hmm. This ranger has a way to recharge limited powers. When they get critical That's hits, cool. they've got a one, they've got a two in six chance of recharging it. Um, and this is something all characters can have access to these kind of recharge abilities if they want them. Um, so you'll often find characters that are, you know, they choose a couple limited powers, but they've also got ways to recharge them. Amazing. Um, has that covered combat? Are there any other bits and pieces we need to go through for that? Or um, I, I think that covers a lot of it. I, I think mm -hmm. just, just for people that are wondering, like if this is a game that they would enjoy, I, I think mm -hmm. I would just say it's it's a it's a crunchy system. Like there's like a good amount of like tactical strategy that you can mm -hmm. do, but powers 
like every power is really easy to understand. Like you're never going to yeah. read three paragraphs to understand how your fireball works. <laughs> like it's sure. really meant to be tactical, but like understandable. And I think that that mm -hmm. ties into like, you know, my whole team is neurodivergent. We like can get very confused by like the three paragraphs for, for fireball. Um, mm -hmm. But having a game like this, where everything is kind of described simply, um, mm -hmm. but also can combine and creates all these unique opportunities to strategize and collaborate. Uh, that's really the heart of why I, why I like this game. Uh, so if you like that kind of style of play, that's that's pretty tactical, but also um, accessible. I think this is this is that's what I would say. This is this is the game for you if you like that. Amazing. And as we mentioned, uh, Guild Chronicles is on Kickstarter until the 22nd of April. Uh, the links in the show notes in the podcast are on the screen if you're watching. Uh, so you can check that out there. Um, amazing. Is there any other bits and pieces we want to kind of talk through about the, the game or the system or any other bits and pieces you kind of want to brag about while we've got the time here? Um, yeah, no, I, I think we've covered a lot of it. I think um, the, the the other thing I really, again, I, I really designed it to try to be collaborative. So that that ranger had an ability that lets them interact with someone else on their turn. So it, it's called opening. It lets them move um, move one of their friends instead of themselves. Okay, uh, cool. I try to put as much of that in there as I can, different ways that you can affect one another's turn. Mm -hmm. um, when I play D&D, I sometimes feel like I'm in my own lane and there's not a lot I can yeah. do to affect everyone around me. Sure. Um, I really wanted to dispel that. I really wanted it to be um, lots of ways to interact. Um, and the game kind of rewards that. So those powers are just basically stronger they're gonna they're gonna mm -hmm. if you're playing selfishly if you're just playing a character that benefits itself you're just not yeah. gonna do as much damage as a group as if everyone was sure. kind of thinking about one another mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense so yeah like you say real key about collaboration in there yeah um so i did mention the kickstarter i'm gonna bring it up again because this is so you are fully funded so it's yes. happening uh so yes. congratulations <laughs> for that but like i say still you. got some more more time left in the campaign till the 22nd of april um this is your first kickstarter yeah. which surprised me a little bit because it's so professionally done it's doing so well and it's all really well put together um so i didn't know if you had any kind of advice or any big learnings you took from from this experience of doing crowdfunding that you'd like to share with other people that are, that are looking to do their own games maybe yeah no um i so i think number one i i having an amazing team of collaborators around you is is so important um so mm -hmm. when, when i started this project it was it was kind of just me i, I made the game myself at first um I eventually dragged my wife into it. My wife is an artist. Um, mm -hmm. She is now the the art the the director of art for Guild Chronicles. Mm -hmm. um, she does all my layout and stuff like that. Um, you know, I I could do an okay job at it, but mm -hmm. I, my passion is getting her excited about this. So you know, she's sort of helping out in that vein. Um, a good friend of mine came on to help me out with marketing. Her background was in marketing. Uh, she mm -hmm. was kind of interested in gaming, uh, but again, she kind of caught the bug. She saw the excitement about the program. She kind of understood the mission. Um, so just having people to collaborate with, even if it's not people that you can pay or people that like are dedicated mm -hmm. to the to the work, having just people to talk to online. So I found a lot of really cool discords um, with people that we can we share ideas together. Um, people that you know they've got some experience, I can ask them questions about it. It's been really really helpful. Um, and then we've we've also we just studied other Kickstarters. We we tried to identify what we liked, mm -hmm. what kind of what drew us in. We tried to figure out like. Okay, so we, we found some amazing products that just didn't have like a they, the campaign didn't explain them well, sure. and we could kind of learn from that. Like, okay, so we know we've got a great product, but how do we show that to people? Mm -hmm. um, was it was a big part of it, and then 
once we identified those things, so we, we saw we really like demo videos. Um, mm -hmm. No one on our team really knew how to do that. So I spent 40 hours one week trying to make a demo video. Um, and I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if that's why people are choosing to, to back the mm -hmm. campaign or not, but, um, it, I don't know. I, I think it, the result of all of this sort of like wondering what worked, what drew us into other campaigns and then trying to find ways to bring that in. I think the result really, I'm glad you, thank you for saying it seems really professional and put together because mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And I think if you're, if you're thinking about starting a Kickstarter, probably multiply the amount of time you think it's going to take by four. I, I think it's it's <laughs> so much more work than it looks um, yeah. on the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton there. Um, and then even once it's up and live, I've been spending, you know, 10, 20, 30 hours a week trying to network and market and keep yeah. getting the word out there. It's it's kind of this nonstop slog. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been, I have a lot of fans that have played the game before. So our first mm -hmm. day was massive. A bunch of fans uh, showed up big mm -hmm. time for the game. Um, and then after that, it's trying to get more eyes on the project that, that are kind of discovering it for the first time. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really hard. That's we've been we've been working really hard. This is going to help a lot, I hope. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to share yeah. it here. Well, I, I certainly hope so, too. I mean, I saw it on Kickstarter and came across it. And that's when I reached out to you and I was like, hey, do you want to do you want to come on and talk about it? But the mid campaign slump is such a normal thing. Like every yeah. Kickstarter campaign is first day. <laughs> everyone that's like been excited and waiting for it back. And then the middle is just this kind of thing. But you do that's usually right. get a spike at the end of people going, oh, yeah, I meant to do that. Um, is usually what happens. So I'm sure that'll be the case here as well. I'm excited. We've got like 200 people that are following the project but haven't pledged yet. So my, I, like every day I'm like wondering, what do they need to do to pledge? Like, what can I tell them and get them excited about this? So Just go nudge maybe, maybe or something this. near the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, with us. Of um, I do have uh, one kind of final question for you, um, which I ask everyone, which is, um, and it can't be a game that you've made and it can't be D&D because &D, the name of the show is <laughs> not D&D, &D, but um, what other games uh, would you kind of recommend or would you like to share with us today? Oh man, so I I have I have a six year old daughter um, mm -hmm. who I love gaming with. We've um she started playing Guild Chronicles when she was three. Um, oh. she's playing with the figurines with me. Uh, we now play like a really light version of the game um, mm -hmm. that that I'm working on with her. Uh, but the game that she loves and that I would go to every time with her is called Magical Kitties Save the Day. Um, mm, it is fantastic. It is mm -hmm. cat themed, which is a big hit in my household. Um, and then on top of that, the artwork is fantastic. They're actually on Kickstarter right now. They're they're doing a film noir setting for their magic city <laughs> okay. of the day, which okay, is fantastic too. Um, but it's it's a it's an elegant, simple system. Um, it's very story driven, um, very kind of like collaborative narrative style, um, mm -hmm. with rules that are accessible to to five six year olds if if they're interested in it. So I I cannot say enough about Magic Kitty Day, but I think it's fantastic okay. that's great i know there's a lot of people that are parents now trying to get yeah. their kids into gaming and finding games so that's that's a really good recommendation um i i don't have kids of my own but i have nephews and nieces and gaming with like six seven year olds is the most chaotic time it's because wild because they will either be like a bunch of murder hobos and just pull out the thing, or they will be the most peaceful diplomats you've ever met. And they'll be like, yeah, but why? They're probably just angry because they're sad about something. Is there something we can help them with? How can exactly. we? Exactly. And then they're just like, okay, we're going over here. I didn't think we were, but that's fine. Uh, so I think that's great if, for any GM that's wanting to get their skills uh, honed is, is to play a game with children because they will, they will really do unpredictable things. So <laughs> if you think your table of adults does that, um, but yeah, thank you for that recommendation. Absolutely. Um, 
I think that brings us to the end of our time uh, for this week. So, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on and sharing Guild Chronicles with us. Um, I'm a supporter of the campaign, so excited to see how it progresses. Um, if you. you have enjoyed listening to this, uh, check out the free demo on guildchronicles.itch.io so you can see it for you. And if you can, uh, back the Kickstarter because the best way to support indie tabletop creators is to buy their stuff. Um, and that's all half for this week. Andrew, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's been listening. Thank you, Jessica.